Did you appreciate the word this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank the word ever since we've been here. It's been so wonderful and so marvelous. I prayed much since being asked to come here that whatever I say would be of use to somebody. I, when I was a young minister, I preached more or less uh, in a vein that if I could preach good, Somebody would come up and tell me I did and it made my day. Right. Now that's always good. That's but uh, it's not the primary thing anymore. I, I'm not interested really in in what people say. It's whether I can touch the heart, the aim, the core of an individual and do them some good right. along with myself. I think that's what the Word of God is all about. Oftentimes we wasted energy and jumping and shouting and hallelujahs and amens mixed in with so much until after some of the services you hardly know what the Word of God has said right. or anything about it. And Amen. God's truth is too solid and too important to be wasted in this manner. My prayer has been ever since Brother Odin has asked me to come has been God give me something laid on my heart your word that would help somebody every day that I might Amen. be able to accomplish your will in, in my life as well as, it, well as in theirs. And that's my harsh desire this evening is to be able to speak some words, something that would somewhere, somehow lodge into your heart so that it wouldn't be forgotten. It matters not whether you remember me or not. That, that's not the important thing at all. It, it would be good sometimes if we got past the time where maybe you wouldn't even remember what preacher spoke it. You didn't remember that the word was spoken. Amen. Right? And that was a reality and had something in our heart. Right. This way that does away with the personality of man and gets you back again to the personality of God through Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. I think maybe sometimes that's what God is asking of us. I, I would like to read to you portion of scripture I think found in St. John uh, the 15th, 13th chapter I believe it is the 21st verse I want to read four uh, verses from the 13th chapter of John beginning with the 21st verse I want to speak about something that maybe my law won't make too much sense to you but if God will give me the ability maybe I can just get it out maybe it will log in your heart and do you some good. 13th chapter of St. John, it says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, that he should ask who it should be of him of whom he spake. Then he, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Now, I'm not going to entertain the subject of who it is and uh, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, but when I was reading that several months ago, in fact, it's been better than a year ago, God brought my attention to the verses where it says, 23rd verse, Now leaning on Jesus' bosom was one of his disciples. And then it goes on down that Peter then beckoned to find out, and he beckoned to that one lying on Jesus' breast. And uh, I, I'm one that believes that the scriptures are written for purposes, that God has no feelings in there, and that everything is, that is recorded right. has something in their hearts. Oftentimes it's real plain and it jumps out at, at us, and other times it's right. kind of like a golden nugget or a grain of truth. Sometimes it just lies, lies hidden and waits for us to mine for it and to discover it. And Jesus spoke something right. to my heart in this about the one lying on Jesus' breast. And he showed me that there was symbolic language in this. John had discovered something 2,000 years ago almost that medical science is just discovering now. John had discovered that there is a sense of security leaning upon the breast of someone that you love and you know loves you. 
He found out that all fear went away whenever this happened. And uh, Jesus is speaking in a sense to you and I that there's symbolic language in this. And then when he brought that to my attention and there were different messages on it, uh, they are bringing more and more to light medical science is about the various usage of heartbeat. You ever sometimes just wonder, now, oftentimes we think this is just a little bitty old thing that pumps blood. And uh, really, this is one of its functions. Right. But did you ever realize that God might have placed that in there to do another job? To help us in other ways to realize that? I went and read some of the wonderful things that has been happening, and they still are. One of the first ones to discover this, of course, was a Japanese doctor that found out that a baby crying that could not stop crying, all he had to do is just amplify the heartbeat of a mother to that child and uh, the baby would just automatically stop crying. There was something about the heartbeat of a mother that would soothe that baby. I lived in a small town in, in, a, in, a, in Nebraska, there was a child that fell down a 20-foot well shaft and can you imagine the fear that must have been in the mind and heart of that child. There he was down there in darkness, fear ripped his heart. And no doubt he was in quite a state. And uh, they played an amplified heartbeat to the father that was lowered down 25 feet in that well. And immediately when that child come into that amplified heartbeat, uh, that father, he quieted and it soothed him. Thank God. Hallelujah. I, I believe somebody said the head has not heard until the heart has listened. Amen. How many of you believe that? Amen. Thank God our head can't hear until our heart begins to listen. Right. Our head can't hear the word of God directly until our heart begins to listen to it. Amen. And begin to feel the heartbeat of Jesus and to know what it was all about. I, I read the uh, records of John always being close to it. And a lot of times with his head pressed on Jesus' breast or on his bosom. And I wondered about that. And there's uh, been many detrimental remarks about that. But John discovered something that it would be well if you and I would learn in our day and hour. In Chicago, I read this in a clipping in a newspaper. A woman was in a coma. Seemed to have no desire to live. And her life was just going out. And then again, they played on the tape and amplified the heartbeat of her husband through a stethoscope, and that brought immediately in that coma when nothing else could reach her, the heartbeat of that which she loved, and that and loved her immediately brought a response from that coma. In New York, there was a man died, and he was alone, and he was in terror, and his wife was injured and couldn't be with him. They played her heartbeat and played it in the ears of that man that was dying. And he was able to get about himself and get his wits about himself, and he died with some honor. Just the heartbeat of somebody that loves us, or somebody we love, can do something about the fear that is within us in the darkness of his And you know, after that, I, I can remember, I never could figure out exactly why, but I can remember when I suffered so much during those eight years and the doctors told me I was dying and that was it and then I would have attacks and I would think this would be it and I don't care how close you are to God or how much you're secure in Him when you're faced with death there's a certain amount of fear that comes and I found out I don't know if my wife knows this or not but I found out that she could hold my hand and that would help some I found out that she, she could just simply be there and that helped some. But when I would get so much in pain and so much in fear, she would some way cradle me and push me close to her bosom I'd lay on her bed. And I could feel that heartbeat and it hit something for me. All fear went away, thank God, and all doubt and all darkness because there was somebody that loved me and I loved her. And all at once all the fear was destroyed. Hallelujah. Now what I'm trying to say is that the heartbeat of a mother with a child, or a father, or a heartbeat of a wife, or something like that, could soothe and tighten a baby in the natural. Thank God, just think what it would be if we could be stethoscopes to have to amplify to a lost and dying world the heartbeat of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. His heart still beats 
for us as well as believes for us. And can you imagine what it would be if you and I could just be human stethoscopes? Uh, most all of us know what a stethoscope does. It doesn't change the heartbeat. It doesn't change the rhythm. All it does is just amplify it. <laughs> Thank God, just press it closer there, put it in the ears, and it amplifies. And that way you're able to feel and to know. And some way or somehow, I have the feeling this evening that that is exactly what God would like for the church of the living God to do today. It's bend our ear to Jesus and heal his heartbeat and then amplify it to lost and fearful and dying world in our day and hour. We know what it's like and we need to get close enough to Jesus just to simply move on his grass. John's, of course, you always find him close to Jesus. I admire that about John. He was always close to Jesus. Not that he wanted to be selfish, but because he recognized his security was in his master. Yes. Thank God. Sometimes it would do us good to recognize there is no security in the world, no security in man, and if we're going to be away from the doubts and fears of this world, we need to get close to our Amen. Hallelujah. And we need to stay there. Now, John was uh, God's first stethoscope. And why? Because he had an ability to love. You ever notice him? And his love was not mediocre. Right. It wasn't just a so-so thing. It was a love that could not be intimidated. Right. Nobody could intimidate John's love. Fear would not force him to stay outside Pilate's hall. How old Peter was out there denying that he even knew Christ, you'll find reference. John was in there. Thank God. Even in fear and in trembling about his life, he still wanted to be close to his master. Even when it was forced to take his life, John still recognized there was something about his master that a closeness only would suffer. Hallelujah. Those cords of love that he had, thank God, had been close to the cross in fear and superstition. And there was much of that, and we don't have time to go into the fear and superstition of hearing a, a tomb in those days of somebody that had been buried. But much of it was there, and it was in that area, but it didn't keep old John from entering into that tomb. Thank God, and looking into the darkness and being able to say, I don't see him there. Thank God, a personal witness that he is not there, he is risen. Look in, entered in with Peter, and there he was. And John is praying to us through this Bible, the heartbeat of God. And if we could feel it, we wouldn't be afraid. We could feel his tender touch. We could hear his gentle voice, as it said, fear not. I, I like the words. That says, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of this world. Whatever circumstances might come our way, our God is there. And God, He's standing with me, and He is, regardless of the storms of this life, He comes walking on the highest waves and bids us to see Him and recognize Him. Thank God. And new hope springs in our heart and from within us. We hear a heartbeat, and I do. I get close to Jesus sometimes, so much that I hear a heartbeat of one that loves us. Now, John, I'll say again, can amplify and transmit the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ and not to us through his writings in St. John. Why not us as a church be able to transmit and amplify the heartbeat of God to a troubled, to a darkened, and to a lost, and to a dying world? I've said it often. Of all the things this world has created, we, God's church, is the only hope this world has. And if we fail, everything has failed. Hallelujah. And then we must not fail as a world. speaks louder words. I can proclaim Christianity and how good it is until it runs out my ears and fills this room and go down there. And nobody pays too much attention, especially the younger generation, to the things that we say and always looking at our actions and what we do and really how much do we love God. There's a challenge for a lost and a dying world. And there's so many different uh, areas of God's heart through Jesus speaks for us. 
a beach horse in a burning way, a beach horse in, uh, uh, in an honest way. His heart is always beating with honesty, trying to get us away from, from hypocrisy and all of this. His heart beats with interceding ways and on and on. But right now, this evening, I would like to deal with a way that God's heart beats for us and an example He left with us and Jesus had a submissive heart. All right. And I think it would be good sometimes if we'd come up close enough to Him right. and lay our head in a sense symbolically speaking in the Spirit upon His bosom and listen to that heartbeat in submission to the will of God. As that place, at that, that place that He was made in upon submissive to the great omnipresent Spirit of our hallelujah. Where His will meant nothing to Him, His desires were stayed immediately, and how He walked, He kept not as long as He was in the bosom of our arms of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Let's look at To be submissive, oftentimes we think we're maybe weak. And many of us, through pride, wanting to stand with our importance, fails to experience the blessings that would come by being submissive. Let me read you, I think if I can find it, Matthew 26, 36, and 39, real old familiar scriptures. And there we see the height of the submission of Jesus. Talks about coming into Gethsemane, that then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane. Say unto his disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But note very carefully that submissive will of Jesus. That had always been. It really wasn't all that hard for him to say that in Gethsemane because he had said it all his life. Hallelujah. Both times we find it hard to be submissive in times of trouble because we have not experienced and don't even know our submissiveness is from start to finish. But it wasn't hard for Jesus to submit as he said let this come pass. In other words, he's saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to experience death. That humanity cried that out, even as ours. But without any second form at all, he just simply said, nevertheless, not my will, but I will be. How would God do with a church that would cry out at every day and every hour, not my will, not what I desire, not my Fall off from us 
as we are determined to extract from God's hand something that He knows is not good for us at the time or won't be in the future. And when He spoke and gave us an example of the Lord's Prayer, He gave it as a petition. And every time we pray, it ought to be a petition to God. I don't have any idea sometimes what I ought to ask for in my life. I don't have any idea sometimes what direction He wants me to go. And there's a lot of things I think I ought to have, and I would be a better minister, a better qualified minister, I would have more abilities, I would have more ways of reaching people if I had this. That's what I think. But some way, somehow, I have got to come to the realization that I am not my own, that I have been bought with a price, a precious and a dear price, and I must be submissive to that one that owns me. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise Hallelujah. Let's look. You're not weak when you're so busy. Let's look at Peter's strong emotions. And let's look at Paul's intellect. One of the wisest men they were. Uh, ever was, I suppose. And Peter with his strength. Going to grasp things and, and get a hold of things. But it's this. It's this now, and I ask you, look back over the time when, uh, not, not in the weakness of Peter, but let's look at his strong voice, where he stood up in the midst of all of that multitude, and right in the very face of the ones that he denied Christ in, stood up when they said, men and brethren, what must we do? And he, without any qualification at all, just repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And you time when the very shadow of Peter, as he was walking, passed over those that were lost. Now with Peter's strength and all the knowledge that Paul had to write all those books in the Bible, is this what made them great? Was Paul's wisdom and his intellect what made him great? I don't think so. You get right down to the nitty-gritty, the know the thing, and you'll find out what made Paul great, what made Peter great, what made Abraham great, what made Isaac great, what made Jacob great, what made all the saints that were martyred great, was not what they were in themselves, that was their total submission to the divine will of the living God. God can take somebody that knows not how to lead and make them greater than they were coming to him. The Apostle Paul did not ever forget his wisdom. He just said, I don't count it anything. It don't mean anything to me in comparison to the living God. And what God has taught me, and he used that in order to speak to kings and almost any, any individual. He could speak and debate on their level. Hallelujah. But it was the submissiveness. As we submit to God, and here's a good lesson we all need to learn. To be in total submission to God. Now here is heartbeat of submission now. Watch him as he, the great example of all humanity, demonstrates what it actually means to give total commitment. Total commitment. I was a little joke with that, but I'm not a joke teller, so I'll probably get mixed up and won't even tell it. Praise the Lord. My wife tells me I'm allowed one joke every revival. That's all she allows me to tell. Amen. Well, I don't want you to tell any I won't attempt to tell that. Thank the Lord. But it does take total submission. Praise the Lord. Now, when we submit totally to God, there's one thing in there we often admit. When we're in total submission to Him, we're in total submission to His Time table. Right. Not hard. Amen. He holds this thing in his hand. He's got your future in his hand. He's got an outline. He knows every in and out of you, every weakness and every strength. Many times we want something and we want it now. 
As the old boy prayed, said, God, I need patience, and I want it right now. <laughs> and a lot of us are the same way. Father, we want something, but we want it right now. That being submissive to God means being submissive to His right. When does He want it? Because after all, He knows when it is needed in our life. The great characteristic of David's faith, I've often said and often heard people say, and I wish I had the faith of David. I, I wish some way I had the faith to be able to meet the giant, to meet the lion, to meet the bear, uh, to do all these things. But the great characteristic of David's faith, a thing that actually motivated him to see to the pain, was his ability to submit to God's timetable, his ability to wait upon God in his life. Notice what he said in Psalms, I shall be satisfied when I wait. And Hallelujah. That was David's great faith. How regardless of how long it took, his complete satisfaction would be when he awoke in the likeness of his Christ. <laughs> the best sorting. We're in a kind of a sorting time, testing time. But the best sorting and separating tool that God has in life is delay. Mm. If you want to test your mettle and test your character, right. let God put a weight upon you and a burden and you know that that's your job and you know that you've got to do it. And in some way He sets you there and says, now you stand there a while. That's delay. That's delay as far as you're concerned, not to God. Because there's no delay in God. He knows where He's going from start to finish. And we're ever retarded in a sense, it's because of us, not because of God. And it's the greatest testing tool that there is, and the greatest separating tool. It'll separate the men from the boys. Amen. Separate the babes from the mature ones. It's when we just say, God, I will wait on you until it's your time. That's hard. That's hard when God loads something on you and says, now you're going to have to do this. And all that burden, here you are, man, just just like a horse, you're chomping at the bits and you're wanting to go. And you, you know how it's your job, you know you're going to have to do it. And here you are full of zeal and desire and determination. And you want to go and God says, that's just wait a while. Wait. All right, come on. That's just wait a while. Come on. Hallelujah. Oh, how we cry. <laughs> how we fret. How we think God is so unfair and unjust. And then after it's all over, and after we have been in a sense Delayed as far as our actions is concerned, and then we're set on that road. Usually we will meet an obstacle or a trial. Now, if we have been dispatched at that time, we would have never been able to overcome it. That's right. It would have killed us. It would have destroyed us. It would have eliminated us, and God is omnipotent. And He said, You stand there a while and wait till I prepare you for the just wait until I get you ready. As a world is lost and dying and undone, mm -hmm. people are caught up, a lot of them in sin today, simply because they would not submit to wisdom. Amen. There's lives simply that are filled and middle and have their whole spiritual life comes full of holes because they would not submit to their waiting. We must have complete submission. Satan's doctrine, of course, completely opposite from God. Satan says, if it feels good, do it. In other words, you satisfy the appetites of the flesh upon their manifestation and their demands. A lot of times, if we're not careful, Satan to just smile. Amen. Come on. To make us feel like that what we want to do is God's will when all the time it's what we want. All right. Hallelujah. And actually he's appealing to us and to our pride and to our sense of value. And he says, satisfy the appetites of the flesh when, when they manifest themselves. And instead of fighting against them, satisfy them. Have you ever found out that if you do that, they'll go away for a while? 
Amen. They will. And then sometimes even the very next day or next moment, they'll come back again more demanding than ever before. demand that he would either get a sacrifice or he would destroy the village. And each time that he came, some unsuspecting parent would be asked to throw their child to that dragon to appease his appetite. Now that seems strange and far-fetched to us, but if we are not careful, we as God's people, on the very onslaught of the powers of evil, comes and demands something of us. If we're not careful, we'll throw our children to him in order to appease him. All right. All right. All right. Amen. Right here. Amen. Amen. One of the first challenges, whenever Moses is getting ready to leave in Egypt, but simply said, you go, but you don't go very far. In other words, he's saying, if you want to be religious, be religious, and don't get too deep about it. Then he goes on another time, after he comes and he says, all right, no, he first says, sacrifice in the land. If you want to sacrifice, sacrifice in the land. In other words, stay in the world, sacrifice, give him your money, give him whatever you have, and stay in the world. And Moses said, that's not going to do the job. If we're going to sacrifice, we're going to get out of the world. And then, comes to him again. Pharaoh says, fine, if you're going to sacrifice, just go a little ways out. And Moses said, no, sir. We're going to go three days journey out there, or we're not going to go at all. And finally, he says, you go ahead. Take everybody, but leave your children. Right. How many people with no God today right. have accepted that compromise with the devil? Right. Right. Have said, you just go ahead, live your Christian life, and just leave your children here to us in this world of Egypt. Come on, yeah. They're going to present you a lot of problems that Brother Bill said had a lot of heartache, had been this, none of us be guilty of leaving our children in Amen. Egypt without any take from the devil. And do the things that he says. And finally, Moses said, No, sir, if I go, I'm going to take them to him. Don't take them to him. Pray with them. And then I said, Let him say, You take them, then Pharaoh says, and leave your cattle. Now, Moses knew something you and I often know. He knew that when they got out there, they were sacrificing people. They, they were sacrificing people. They believed in sacrificing. And they sacrificed from their animals. And he knew that if he left all their animals there, after he got out from bondage, he wouldn't have any same Yes. And you and I also look at that sometimes. Even after we've claimed everything and everybody, we need something to sacrifice to God. Amen. Somebody said, but the days of sacrificing is over. Uh-uh. I know you don't sacrifice a blood of bulls and goats and you don't present doves and pigeons. And God asks us for our complete sale. Oh, Come on. Hallelujah. 
Now let me ask you a question. How would God, how could he ever have any confidence in us? In any way? Did he just pamper us, pimps, kept us from everything in the world? Hallelujah. When he got ready to send his last great revival and stand the test and trials, whatever might come our way, then he would have to expect to get it from a bunch of babies or a pampered spoiled kids. And God is not the author of pampered spoiled kids. That's right. He wants grown adults mature that's able to pull and kill their ministry and willing to take Jesus' spine and submit to him. Now God's will is bring every will, every carnality of man, every appetite of the flesh under control of this new regenerate. Right. How do the old nature still there rebelling? It's still there crying out. It's still there, Paul says, reckon uh, you, yourself to be dead. Reckon yourself to be dead. And you give this old nature just a little bit. Have, you know something? Many of us, immediately when God replaces within us a new heart through the power of the Holy Ghost, how we just expect that old ruling force to just lay down and quit. Have you ever realized how long it's been ruling? Come on. You know, just a good lesson from a couple of roosters that I used to have. Come on. There's one old rooster had been king of the barnyard for years. Almost ever since I was a kid, he could whip any young upper start that you want. Had been for a long time. And finally, there was one little rooster that grew up and uh, put it on that old rooster, almost healed him. Uh-huh. And that old rooster drug himself off, and that young rooster ruled the barnyard. That old rooster drug himself off, brought away from everything else, and healed his wounds, and went back and had another fight with that young one. Right. And won. Right. Now that's exactly what happens if we're not careful with this old carnal nature that was ours and it ruled right. so long. Right. Oh, you can rule on it, stir it, and almost kill it, and even break itself off, and its wounds will heal. And then the first thing you know, it'll fight for the same authority right. that it always had. I've been there so many enough, and says, no, you can't have me anymore. I'm not my own. But there's one thing we need to realize, all of us, we cannot be submissive to God with appetites and desires that are allowed to run through. That's true. In our the greatest heroes of the Bible had hearts and were submissive to God. Hallelujah. Often contrary to logic, contrary to common sense. And even contrary to self-preservation. Let's look at that again. Hearts that submit, contrary to logic. This is a world, a logical world. It tries to logic things out. If it goes against our thinking, or human thinking, uh, surely it can't be right. Common sense. Oftentimes with common sense, our desire for self-preservation. And let's look, if we will at all, to some... Uh, um, let's take Gideon's submissions, for instance. And let's follow him as he had an army ready for war. 32,000 of some of the best soldiers that man had ever had. And we thrilled had the shout of his victory. We know he won. We already know the ending to that story, but Gideon didn't, remember right. that? We do. Right. And we can say that uh, he should have faith, that he didn't know the end. Like a lot of us don't know the end yet today, but by faith, by faith, we persist. And we shout with Gideon in his victory. But I wonder sometimes if we can imagine the doubts and the fears that assail Gideon at each reduction of his senses. Now this is against logic and common sense that you would go and meet an enemy. 32,000 wasn't enough. And he kept reducing them down until finally 331,700 of them was put over here someplace. I thought Gideon didn't want anybody there and had an ounce of fear in them. Good lesson there. Right. Hallelujah. God just very kindly because he loves us and he did that to Gideon. He reduced the number in steps. You ever notice that? Just look at it in steps. 
And that's so we won't stagger it. It's going to happen as God has promised us. He exposes us to that which will if we let it prepare our feet for the next step. Right. Hallelujah. Just, just a building process. Let's imagine Joshua after he'd been told how he would have to take the city and told him how to take it after each marching day. And to put yourself in his place. Now, he don't know the walls of hell. We already know this. We read it. And he don't know that. All he's got is God's word for it. And let's look at his submission. God said do it. It was crazy. It looked foolish. It was, it was, it was against everything. And yet Gideon began to march. And each marching day, there's no doubt the walls looked higher. And there's no doubt as he marched around, Gideon said, Oh God, the walls, surely they're supposed to do something. I don't just supposed to march around here and they get out. And sometimes the foundations, I'm sure, was firmer. And after they'd marched around there for seven days, don't you, can you imagine just how brave the enemy got? All right. Amen. Come Can on. you imagine they're looking over the walls and then looking at those foolish Israelites walking around that wall? Look at them. Come on. And look how brave they got. They probably said, if this is all they can do. Can you imagine something inside of Joshua? Have that, that, that old nature of his, has it tried it out? And yet inside of him, he said, I have submitted myself to God. I have taken these people. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And the final end of it was victory. Not because Joshua was such a great soldier. And because he was submissive to God's will. All times you and I think in terms of great soldiers and great men. And I'm our great men. My friend, what's going to end at this world and bring Jesus it's not the great men so much. It's the submissiveness of God's people everywhere, uniting in the body Hallelujah. and doing what God tells us to do. Joshua, a long time ago, had submitted Lord, his ways into God's hands. If you look at the many talents of Joshua, you don't have to look very far to see that he was a very capable leader. Very capable leader. But the secrets of his success, as it will be ours, is his willingness to submit. Now a lot of us are willing and sometimes even eager to submit to God's will. We want God's will done in our lives. But many of us would like to have a good deal to say about what God does in our lives. Right. Amen. Amen. We'd be like to say, now God, I want to be submissive to thee, but I, to you, but I'll tell you how to plan to have. Now God, if you can just do this and that and something else, I'll submit to you. We'd like to have a lot to say about it. All those that have ever been a success have nothing to say about it at all. Their mind long since disappeared. And the mind that was in them was the mind of And that's what God said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. No man, I think this is the best lesson I know of, no man is prepared to give instructions or orders until he has learned to take them. And follow them. Amen. Teachers must first be students. Ministers must first be saints. And those who are strong in Christ must see themselves weak and submissive in heart. Jesus learned obedience to the things he suffered. The Bible says, though he were a son, he had learned the obedience for the things that he suffered. Being afraid sometimes. I know this gets pretty hard to a lot of us. It, it hit me and it did wake me up when it hit me. Sometimes I have to be hit in the head with a ball bat in order for God to get my attention. But nevertheless, He does. But many of us hide behind fear. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, that's just lack of submission. A lot of times, people are misunderstood. They're shy sometimes. People are shy. They're considered to be snobbish. You know that? Shy people sometimes give the appearance of being the most stuck-up people that there is. But inside there's just a shyness there. And uh, sometimes the sickly can be judged lazy. The person can be a healthy specimen of a man or a woman, but nobody can see it inside. And they're just judged on outward appearance of just being lazy. And weak personality sometimes is thought to be humble. But that's, that's not what humility is. And cowards sometimes may be submissive in nature. When they're not totally submission, submission to Christ. 
Right. There's a lot of us that says, I'm afraid to witness, I'm afraid to teach, and I'm afraid to do this, and I'm afraid to do that. But let, just let me challenge you now. No, don't get mad at me or throw a chair, but could it be true that this fear stems from being self-centered right. and proud and arrogant and unyielding and afraid of failure? Amen? Hallelujah. This could be so true and yet so camouflaged by the powers of the enemy that even we are not aware of what it is all about. Satan has got a lot of saints sitting on the seat for fear. Fear, not, not necessarily fear uh, of things outside, but fear of being a failure. Brother Richard brought it out last night when he was talking about uh, calling that man. And what if he what if he wouldn't do it or, or what if he forgot him and so on? That, that that was fear of himself being a failure. Something that would be humiliating. And none of us like to be humiliated. Not who. Really. No. The Apostle Paul said he was a fool for Christ. All of us would like for everybody else to think good of us. And many times that keeps us on our seat doing nothing. The problem comes when we're more interested in men's opinion of us than God's opinion. That's All right. Amen. All right. Of course, at the final day, we may be judged of men now, but men's judgment doesn't mean anything. Right. On the final day, men's judgment's not going to amount to anything. It's how you stand before the great judgment. That's how He judges you. Amen. What, what you have done. Amen. It's rather to do something and fail and never try to do it at all. also going to have it marked upon the character of many of us that they just simply was not submissive enough to try we've heard heaven or hell but how about submit or die oh Lord that's good amen come on yes sir. Romans 8.14 says for as many as shall live by the spirit of God they are the sons of God now you know that one little key word in there, led. Led. Not bribed. Not coached. Not coerced or forced. But led. By the Spirit of God. They are become the sons of God. Let's take a look at ourselves. Remember Jesus completely surrendered and completely submitted to the divine will of that which had worked. He started off right. He started off being submissive to his parents and to the authority. That was over. Amen. Amen. The last great test of flesh, the last great test was Gethsemane. How he feared it gets at Calvary was consistent on how he fared at the assembly. Right. If they had not been a Gethsemane, they wouldn't have been a Calvary. Right. And how we fare at Calvary is how we fare at Gethsemane. Now our picture of Calvary is sometimes very minimal. Why do you say that word? Minimized. There you go, minimized. Is that, right. Is that what I'm looking for? Come on. All right. Now that's that's realistic thinking because that's because we sense. As we look at Calvary, I like to see a lot of blood here and a lot of blood there. I like to see a few things on the feet and maybe just a few things on the side. That's not Calvary. All right. That's not Calvary at all. And we minimize that simply because we sense our own guilt at Calvary. Right. Oh, yeah, there's the baker. There, there's the soldier. There's the farmer. There's the sheep herder. There's the housekeeper and shoemaker. There's the sadist and the unconcerned and the gambler. All of these were there, businessmen, the farmers, and whatever. They were all there. And then there was us. There was us. Hallelujah. And we're not careful. We'll fail to sense the ugliness from that hour. Right. Let's look at Jesus. 
Show me a picture if you can. There he hangs, barely three feet off the ground. His back was lacerated with a couple of years. He was crowned on the head with a crown of thorns with rivers of blood. Run down there. His face was bruised. When I share with you, do I have time to share with you? Of each of God gave me. Of Jesus just two weeks before he completely healed me. Of a heart that was threatening my life. I was in a church service to my church in Rosenthal. The Spirit of God was moving and I went and sat down on the altar and I raised my head. Coming into view back there was a figure. I knew right off it was an eerie thing in a sense. It was unnatural. I didn't know what it was and it come closer. Finally, I realized as I looked upon that grotesque a looking thing it came from there, on his head was crowned with thorns. Not little things like we see, but huge piercing things. Had it been crushed unmercifully by the hands of sadistic men, had pierced the scalp of that one that I call my Savior, and ribbons of blood were streaming down his face. And he got a little bit closer. I saw bruises all over him, where he'd been hit by the sadistic hands of men, as they smote him and said, prophesied, who did this? And the Bible says he didn't open his mouth. Oh, men like a lamb to the slaughter. And my mind was refreshed. And I saw the bruises upon his face. And he was bruised for my And he got a little bit closer. It was the ungodly, grotesque, looking figure of humanity that I had ever saw in my life. And I would never forget. And I looked up at that. And in spite of how he looked, something jumped in me and I loved it right I loved him. The Bible says, he would have no condemnation. Have we would like to look upon that still something inbred within me. It was that precious kindred spirit inside me that reached out and I knew who he was and I loved him for it. Anyway, I could have put my hands, arms around him and loved him. And he kept coming closer. I've been prayed for great years. I thought, God, this is it. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to be healed. I don't know if some of the saints said they know this. But as he got closer, I reached out. And right there's some distance between where I was sitting on the altar rail and the proxies. And he just turned right out of my reach. That you would do this. That you would let me see this. Right. And know how desperately I want to touch you. And you'd walk right by me. After I studied myself truth, I heard a voice say, further around. I've been raised for church. But I've been ministering for some years. I never saw what I saw when I turned around. There, I'd always viewed him. I'd always saw the pictures portraying him hanging on the cross. I saw his face, tortured and pain, and I saw that. Never one time did I realize that there was far more going on on that body of Jesus than what I'd ever imagined. And I turned around and I saw a back. I was lacerated to ribbons. Not one part of that back seemed to be together. And, and stuff oozing out from it and blood and insects was up there. And he was struggling and he was walking. And I looked at that and my heart crumbled. And then a voice said again, My kids stripes, ye were healed. And two weeks later, laying in my bed, that gave me a new heart. Submission 
to my life to God's will. I didn't understand what it was. I couldn't imagine why He would allow me to not have one day free from pain. I couldn't imagine why He would allow me to raise up a church that needed a pastor, a family that needed a dad, and a wife that needed a husband. And had the doctor to tell me I could die any day. I couldn't imagine it. And I'd go to my church. I'd stand in the pulpit. And I'd minister like I am now. And God would be there. And I'd go home and I'd stay in my bed till Wednesday night service. And I'd minister again. And for eight years I wondered, God, are you ever going to do it? And I was bringing my feet up in the bed, preparing to die. And that day on Tuesday morning, sometime between 7 o'clock and 11 o'clock, I lay in bed. I didn't know when I'd bring on the presence spirit of God came. And I didn't know when it went. And sometime during that four hour period, he did it to my bedside. And I put it in my I believe in miracles. I am one. Amen. Hallelujah. All of this, what I'm telling you, is recorded in Doctors Hospital in Harrisburg and in Hardin County Hospital in Rosenberg. Hallelujah. They took EKGs and the whole bit. And this heart that beats in this body now has no resemblance of that one that was in my own heart. I'm not talking about just a spiritual heart. I'm talking about this natural thing that beats life and come on, come on, come on. This thing that the doctor said, prepare to die. You won't live to be 50 years old and I'll be 53 before long and I feel better than I did 10, 15 years ago. I still got some roads to travel and some things to do for Jesus. I've had eight years of submitting to God's will when I didn't even understand it or know what I was supposed to do the next day. His back was lacerated. He was crowned with thorns. His body had stripped away all his modesty. Jesus was raised in modesty and they stripped his clothes how awful him one of the greatest injustices they could do to him as they made him hang there naked before a raving mob. Yes, there he was. Them that was around him snarled like bulls, roared like lions, sniffed like dogs, sadistic, the uncomprehension of human mind, and yet our Savior there submitted to the will of God until the last ounce of blood went upon him. And watch him now, and we'll always be reminded but he submitted with every breath a painful effort. He remembered his mother. Hallelujah. He remembered his mother. Every breath a painful effort again. He remembered the thieves. And even those who crucified him, he says, Father, forgive them. And finally, with that last ounce of strength and that pain, that it took to raise himself up from that zigzag position of that crucifixion, he raised himself up, opened his mouth, and took one last uh, gasp of fresh air. And the last thing he uttered was for you and I. And he said, it is finished. Salvation has come to the world. The brain of the people, the talked about it. And salvation had come. And we have access to Jesus right now.
in a world of sin. This satisfies with their weak and lowest or powerless religion. And yet, in spite of their dissatisfaction, they will not submit to a plan that includes no room for appeasement and works on the flesh. Even though that would be their salvation and that would be their peace. But they find it hard to bring this whole nature on this objection. They find it hard to believe that God would demand this. But it is not an unjust demand. 